Let us take our Bibles and open God's holy word to the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter 4. We'll read the entire chapter, and the last verse is the text for this morning. And in the New King James, it says, uh, therefore, comfort one another, but also a different translation, which I will be using this morning, is therefore, encourage one another. And I'm sure that all of you are avid readers of your bulletin, and specifically the press release, and you will know that that is the theme that the elders will be using for home visits this year encouragement. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother, brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore he rejects this, does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort or encourage one another with these words so far. And after the sermon, we will sing hymn 67, the stanzas one, two, 
3 and 7, which is also a prayer for the return of the Lord Jesus. theme for the sermon is the Apostle Paul encourages us to encourage one another with these words. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, what kind of vibes do we emit as church? If someone walked into this assembly having no prior contact with us, would that individual be overwhelmed by the energy of the Holy Spirit emitting from us? So that that person would worship the Lord and exclaim, truly God is among them. What kind of atmosphere do you, as an individual, create by your presence? Do people want to be around you because they know you as someone who will come alongside them and encourage them with the word of the Lord? Or are you someone who is miserable, bitter about life, resentful, always criticizing, and not exactly spiritually uplifting to be around. We are called by the Lord to encourage one another. But that can so easily run amok because doing so is so counter to our sinful nature. Just look where things have gone in our society. In a society that thinks they have no need of God or salvation in Jesus. You don't have to go very far to see a lot of sadness, anger, uncontrolled rage. Relationships have become tense and messy. People are prickly and easily agitated and uptight. And social media and communication through texting has not helped us at all. So many bemoan the fact that people have become rude and crass, lost all filters, and feel they have a right to spout off their opinions. And if you happen to be upset with someone, you not only state your disagreement, but you go all out and destroy them. We become so mentally and emotionally fragile and volatile and all of this, my friends, has not left us unaffected. More than ever, we are suspicious of each other, guarded in our speech, polarized, and quick to throw out vitriol against others, even against our very brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it seems more common than ever that individuals who got along refuse to talk to each other or acknowledge each other or want to be reconciled as if these things are somehow foreign to the Christian religion. So how did we get here? And where do we go from here? 
Do you and I need to accept this as the new normal? Well, no. Absolutely not. Because that would be contrary to the intentions of the Holy Spirit in your and my life. And here's why. The Holy Spirit calls us to encourage one another. And the verb to encourage in its most literal form means to come alongside. We're called to come alongside each other and such encouragement is to come to some, close to someone's life, their struggles, their story, their joys, and their sorrows. The word most often used in the New Testament for encourage is the verb tense of the word parakletos. And did you know that this word is used by the Lord Jesus Christ to describe his own work and the work of the Holy Spirit? We used to be know that word, paraclete. For example, Jesus says in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the one who will come alongside you will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So the Spirit comes alongside us with the word of Christ and his encouragement to us changes everything. For we who are filled with the Spirit and with the word of Christ become encouragers, are called to do so. We come alongside one another to encourage, exhort, comfort, and help. And brothers and sisters, it is especially in such a time as this when discouragement, disappointment, and disillusionment have the upper hand that we are to take seriously our calling to encourage one another and then to put to a halt all uncalled-for negativity, to come alongside each other and even more, all the more, as we see the day of Christ drawing near, to use the words of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, that's before us this morning, is filled with statements urging the people of God to come alongside each other so that they should walk in a manner worthy of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and 12 says, For you know that we dealt with each other, which each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And after admonishing the congregation to be ready for the day of Christ's return, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live to him. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And note the connection. Encouraging one another and building each other up go hand in hand. And both are hard to do. If we forget that the church, and with that I mean not the building but the people, that the church belongs to Christ. And we are together to glorify Him and not to please ourselves. Paul is very specific. We are to encourage one another in times of joy, but also when faced with grief. When the bottom seems to be falling out and the ground we are standing on turns to mush and quicksand and the darkness doesn't lift. Well, what a blessing that we as family of God can sit together this morning and receive a word of encouragement from God. On this morning, the Lord Jesus, as the good shepherd of his sheep, he comes alongside each one of us, lays his gentle hand on our shoulders and says, it's time. It's time to take your focus off the present, off yourself, off whatever has thrown you and your life off kilter, off all negativity. It's time to get back on track and to allow me to give you a message of hope. Look to what far out distances your gaze. Listen to what I have to say to you about what your future looks like. And once you have listened intently, encourage one another with these words. Not your words, but these words. My revelation. Paul says to the Thessalonians, what you need to do is to take what I have written to you and encourage each other with these words. These words refers to the words we find immediately preceding our text in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 17, but not exclusively. It also applies to what is found in the first 12 verses of chapter 4, where Paul calls the congregation to encourage each other not to live a life consumed with self, but to live a God-centered life, a sacrificial life, a life rooted in love for the Lord and His church. He encourages the church to continue doing what they were taught by God, namely to love one another, verse 9, to aspire to live quietly, to mind their own business, and to get busy. And they must do these things as they were instructed to, instructed to do so that they may live properly before outsiders. Verses 10 through 12. And all that the apostle calls them to do in the present is built on what took place with the death and resurrection of Christ, but also in view of his second coming. 
And that makes total sense, doesn't it? If the future is nothing, why bother living the Christian life in the present? If the end is death and nothing more, why bother living for Christ today? But brothers and sisters, Christians are pulled forward by our blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord Jesus, to use the words of Titus 2, verse 13. And that is why the Thessalonians are called to encourage and comfort each other with what Paul states in the verses 13 through 17. These verses give us a sneak preview of what God in Jesus is going to do for all the saints in heaven, for those who have preceded us. And here is the thing. If we are to encourage one another in the present with these words about the future of believers, it will change our conversation and how we talk about the present. As we encourage with these words, we are to keep in mind three things. First of all, we need to start with the correct information. Paul admonishes us to stick with the script and not wander off into the fancies of human imagination. He says, Brethren, we do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. What Paul writes is not just a, a one-off, but a principle to be applied in all circumstances, in life and death. If you and I are to encourage each other properly, we need to be informed with the truth of the gospel that we receive today. It changes what we can say to each other when burdened by life's suffering, grief, sorrow, and death. When we feel frazzled and at the end of our rope, we need to be informed. Ignorance isn't bliss. The ministry of the gospel always encourages because the truth of God's word informs and transforms our thinking. The sound theology of the word of God takes a load off our minds and moves our minds away from a shallow view of life and death. And when we are informed by the gospel of Christ, we come to see that the Lord doesn't underestimate the reality of our grief and of our troubles in this life, but in the storms of life, gives a beautiful message of hope and comfort. While this world remains under the dominion of sin, we will experience sadness and sorrow and grief. There will be empty spots, intense loneliness and heartache. People will be taken out of this life sometimes quite suddenly, for others after a prolonged illness and for others after waiting for the Lord to take them home as they pine away in old age. But in all the brokenness of life, 
We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know and we believe Jesus, our Savior, is Lord. He is master of the grave. He as Lord holds the keys of death and Hades. So that's the first thing that will give encouragement a strong foundation. And closely tied to the first statement is the second. As we come alongside each other to encourage and comfort, it shouldn't escape our attention that when the Lord Jesus comes again, those who have died in the Lord will be involved in a glorious transformation. So first, correct information, and now glorious transformation. The Thessalonian church struggled with the question, what happens to those who have died? Will they miss out on anything when the Lord Jesus returns? And the answer, not at all. Those who have died in the Lord, all the saints in heaven, will not be the last to know about the return of Christ because those who have died in the Lord will be the first in line. That's a blessed perspective on death. Through Christ, the crucified and resurrected one, death is swallowed up in victory. And it does not put a child of God at a disadvantage. Paul describes those who have died as asleep or in the sleep of death. He says in verse 13, we do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. And that expression makes practical sense, doesn't it? Boys and girls, if you have had to go to a funeral, maybe of one of your grandparents and saw their body in the coffin, what did you think? It looked like they were sleeping, right? Seeing them in the coffin this way, that may give us a sense of calm. But think about it a little further. It's not cool at all that a body of a grandparent, parent, spouse, a child who was with you is placed in a box with the lid closed only to have six feet of dirt covering the coffin. Yes, we are comforted and encouraged by knowing a person's soul is not in that body, but with the Lord. But that is not what the Lord had in mind when he made us. That our souls should be separate from our bodies. God breathed into our bodies the breath of life. So the encouragement in death is not in a body that that looks good. For we all know that body is going to, to decay. No, we encourage each other knowing that this body which we associate with the person we knew will be reunited to the soul. 
never to be subject to any discouragement or hardship or sin. Sin disrupted God's design. And the disruption sin and death brought into the world touches every Christian so that when grief and suffering and the challenges of life are ex extremely intense, we ask, why, Lord? Why does this happen? It all seems so wrong and contrary to the aspirations that you put deep into our souls. But since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we also believe that those who have fallen asleep in him are presently with him. We have hope in grief because we know death is not the end. Death is the first step of the last thing the Lord needs to do in and for believers. And what is that step? To unite body and soul through the mighty resurrection of the body. To word it differently, God is starting to do for dying believers what he already did for his son. Where was Jesus when he died? His spirit was taken up into paradise, into the paradise of God, while his body was placed in the grave. And how do we know this to be true? You know the answer. And you will remember the answer when I ask you another question. What did Jesus say to the criminal on the cross? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And what does Jesus say to those who die in the Lord? Today you will be with me in paradise. But Jesus did more than what he said. On the third day his body was raised from the dead and in him we have the assurance that those who have died in the Lord will be raised. On the last day, believers who have died will come back with Jesus. And they can only come back with Jesus on the day of resurrection because they are with him today. Dear brothers and sisters, encourage each other with these words. And when you comfort each other with these words, you will have something meaningful to say to each other throughout the days of your life. And not only when death assails you. These are the words that will encourage us and others to stay focused on worshiping the Lamb in troubled and turbulent times. We are given the correct information. And we will experience a glorious transformation. And if this wasn't already enough, we are given more words with which we can come alongside each other to comfort and encourage. Which brings me to a third word, anticipation. 
There's no reason for Christians to be disillusioned. Because of all people, we are a people who are given hope. Christian hope anticipates. And that is why Christians can have hope in times of intense grief. The Apostle paints for us a tremendous picture of grandeur and glory that has three pronounced aspects. Number one, the coming of Christ will be personal. That's what we anticipate as number one. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. Christ doesn't send a messenger, but he comes personally. The Lord of glory, the resurrected Lord of the Sabbath, the Lamb who was slain is coming. We don't know when that will be. And Paul acknowledges that the Lord could come back at any time. And that is why he writes, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive. You see, he didn't rule out the possibility of being alive when Jesus returns. And we who sit here right now shouldn't rule out the possibility of Christ coming back during our lifetime. And when Jesus returns, he will not be alone. The saints will be coming with Jesus. The dead will be given back their bodies, free from rot and decay, a glorious resurrected body. The dead will be first to rise. Now, if we were given a choice, most of us would prefer to be alive when Jesus comes back. It would be so much easier to be changed in the twinkling of an eye than to have to go through that whole process of death, don't you think? But let's not forget the privileges the dead receive. Those who have gone to be with the Lord are free from sin. And all the horrible and unsettling things that we still face in this life. They no longer feel the ache of loneliness, the anger, or the agitations we feel. And on the day of Christ's return, they will experience the reunification of body and soul. Whereas we who are still alive will witness and watch it happen. So the first thing we can anticipate is that the return of Christ is personal. And the second thing we can anticipate is that the return of Christ will be powerful. The Lord Jesus will come with a powerful cry of command. Yes, a booming voice will echo through the heavens announcing the Lord is here. It's time to rise from the dead. That cry will not fall on deaf ears. The cry of command will be accompanied by the powerful sound of the trumpet. Yes, behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet's call. A trumpet. It's loud. 
and it stands out even in a large orchestra. Well, on the last day, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. In the Old Testament, the trumpet had special significance since the powerful blast of the trumpet marked the beginning of every Sabbath and other feast days. The trumpet summoned the people for worship, announcing the great moment had arrived for the people to celebrate the goodness and the grace of the Lord. Well, on the last day, the trumpet will sound to announce the eternal rest of God. And just as the trumpets announce, the Lord is here, be prepared. So the trumpet on the last day calls out, Jesus is here. And the appearance of the Lord will also be a powerful display of might. All will hear the voice of the archangel, the commander of the Lord of hosts, who fought against the devil and threw him out of heaven at the ascension of Christ. And then we are told, the saints who are on earth will rush forth to meet the Lord in the air. Now, why in the air? Well, who in the New Testament is given the title, the prince and the power of the air? The devil is. Do you see how encouraging it is to know we as people of God will meet the Lord in the air? On the final day, there will be a visible and powerful demonstration of the lordship of Jesus over the entire cosmos. What we are to believe and trust is true today. will be on display then. The whole universe belongs to him. The return of Christ that we anticipate will be personal, powerful, and finally, permanent. Paul writes, and so we will always be with the Lord. The saints above and below they're joined together and will always be with the Lord. The second coming of Christ ushers in an existence that cannot be changed or be undone. It will be forever. Well, this is the encouragement that you and I are to take with us now. As we continue on pilgrimage and as we pass through at times, the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. Oh, today we still experience so much misery and grief. But don't let that determine how you spend your days or how you interact with each other. Come alongside each other with a message of hope so that the vibes of hope and encouragement Fill our church with the energy of the Holy Spirit and allow us to speak with authority a message of encouragement to a community who have no hope in sorrow, sadness, and death. 
because they do not know Christ. Let me, let me conclude with the words Paul wrote as the conclusion of his letter to the church at Rome in chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement, the God of encouragement, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, let there be joy. Let there be happiness. Let there be rejoicing among us. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.